Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. The show has been heard by over 100,000 listeners around the world in 160 different countries. Woo-hoo! A huge thank you to you for tuning in, for sharing, and encouraging those around you to be who they are and skillfully say what needs to be said. I appreciate you. It's gratifying to help people find their individual voices in a way that supports our collective success. And today, we have a great lineup of callers, so we'll get to it. And I would love to welcome, from the middle of Pennsylvania, Bill. Bill, welcome to Say It Skillfully. Thanks, Molly. Happy to be here. So, let's see. I'm really curious what challenging conversation or sensitive situations on your mind? Um, Well, I think I'll I'll give you a a brief background about myself first. I'm working for my present company, and I've been here for about 24 years. I started as an IT technician, progressed to an engineer, and ended my current role as the global IT manager, where I manage a staff of 12 people. Um, everybody knows that the pandemic was difficult, but what, what it might not be, what people might not think about, is it was especially difficult for IT folks. You know, we are the people behind the scenes to keep things running. Uh, all while the world was transitioning to working from home, we were upgrading to new systems, maintaining cybersecurity standards, learning new ways to support people remotely. There's a laundry list of things we did. As a result of all these changes, I meet regularly now with new people and teams that I didn't meet with in the past. So this is all in addition to my typical meeting workload. So now I've ended up with a schedule of back-to-back virtual meetings that I've maintained for the the last year, uh, where I literally finish one meeting and directly join the next. And while this is stressful, it is somewhat manageable when working from home because virtually I can eat lunch during meetings, I can work late into the evening due to the, uh, the blurred line between work and home priorities. But now our company is back in the office, and uh, but my meeting schedule has stayed the same, and I'm finding that people want to meet face to face. So this is about seven to eight hours a day of meetings for me, including the travel time walking between offices. Uh, don't get me wrong; these meetings are important, but if my meeting schedule stays the same, it means working up to 12 hours a day, and as a single father, that's not ideal for me. So here's my question. How do I approach the meeting owners without making the other person feel less valued or less important? Uh, Obviously this is valuable time for them, uh, but I have a lot of empathy for others. So it's important for me to make sure that they feel valued and not feel shortchanged, that I'm not prioritizing my time, that I'm not saying my time is more important than your time. So how how do you suggest I proceed? Wow. 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 So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because uh, I think everyone, (laughs) everyone is shaking their heads going, yes, yes, this is going on for us. So first, let me just, let me just do a major shout out. 24 years at the same company. Woohoo for that. That is awesome, Bill. I love it. Uh, Thank you. Yes. Yeah. It's not, uh, you know, I think people switch around a lot and I, and I, I just appreciate the longevity and then something that you can't buy is having that history and understanding. Uh, so it's just, it's very special. Uh, so that's great. And then I do want to do a shout out, having worked in IT organizations in that, you know, you only hear from people when they're not that happy. And so you don't get a lot of credit when all the trains run smoothly and everything's fabulous. People sort of just take it for granted. So I do want to do a shout out for all IT professionals, technical folks around the world who are behind the scenes making stuff happen. Um, for those of us who uh, think it might be easy, I know it's not. So a huge shout out for you. 
so, so this is a this is a great one, and I appreciate your bringing it up. And I want to encourage transparency. So, as you talk about it, Bill, probably folks in your organization, and obviously with listeners, it's something folks are all thinking about and wrestling with. And it gets back to let's not waste a you know a disaster. Let's not waste a tough time. Let's get be better for it. So I would offer that this challenge in working through it serves you and it's a positive thing. And that's a big first step because it can look like, oh my God, it's a problem. It's a negative thing. And I would encourage you to look at it as opportunity and a chance for you to create something that's workable for you and for others to do the same. So let me just pause there. Does that land for you? It does. Thanks. Okay. That's great. So I want to normalize that. Um, And so folk listeners know that the whole say it skillfully premise is just what's going on for me as an individual and getting real what's going on for me. So I'll ask you first, you know, what are some of the feelings that you have as you're going through this? So, you know, I, I understand that everybody's time is very valuable. Um, I, I think it's just become a very difficult transition going from virtual meetings where we can start on the dot end the meeting on the dot and there's no travel time. There's no chit chat leading up to the meeting. Um, so I'm just very, very concerned that that these meeting schedules that people get, these new new enhanced meeting schedules are going to stick and there's going to be an expectation that they're continued. Yeah. So yeah, I get the concern and the frustration. And you know, I hear I hear from you a sense of what's what's going on for other people in the whole. And that's really the next step is saying, hey, what is going on for other people? And being able to put ourselves in their shoes, which I heard you say, you don't want people to feel like they're not as valued as you. Um, and you want to make sure that you're not coming across as I'm more important, super important to be transparent with that. And the third level is what serves the whole. So at an, any organization, obviously we don't really want 12 hours. I mean, maybe some people do want 12 hours a day, but the average organization wants people to have, you know, a life that they love at home and one that's <laughs> meaningful at work too. And that's generally not 12 hours a day at work, Right. So that idea of a shared reality for, you know, what's a, a robust good day of work look like is worth being explicit about. Having worked remotely myself, it can get very carried away because now you're online from nine o'clock to midnight every night. You know, it can get very, it can be all consuming. It's not a good thing, right? It's important to create boundaries. So to think about what's right at the whole. So, you know, let's just take if it's a one-on-one situation. I think you have to look at your schedule and say, hey, what am, what am I supposed to be contributing? What are you individually and your team supposed to be contributing for your organization? And hopefully that's very clear. I just want to shout out for folks for whom it's not clear. Hey, this is what your leaders are there for. And you're saying, hey, I see a lot of priorities and I know things are shifting. I'd like a little clarity. So I'm sure that I'm focusing on the first things first. So I want to empower folks listening. If it's not super clear or there's some a little bit of ambiguity, raise that up so that you're very clear on what matters most so that you understand the first things first work. And I don't want to skip that step because I think sometimes it's not necessarily crystal clear. I guess I'll ask you, Bill, do you feel like your group priorities are very clear? I do not. Awesome. So- yeah, yeah. So, so this is obviously the the root of the problem. Uh, you know, ev- I feel like everybody feels their priority is number one, uh, and we need to step back and look at it. You know, what's the biggest priority for the company? Great. So that's a conversation, and that may be some multiple stakeholders. And you know, the approach on that kind of conversation is, ah, just we. I know everyone cares. I know everyone wants to do the best work for the company. And we in IT know that we're enablers. So I want you to know I love you all. (laughs) And what I need to do is really understand the top priorities for our business. And please know it's not personal. It's just that this is what I need to do in order to make sure that our organization is most successful. And Bill, people may not like the answer, but if they can understand that the intention is to support the whole and they're a part of the whole, they'll take it, okay? So it's not a popularity contest, which I think also sometimes can be challenging for people who care a lot about, you know, being liked. So I'll just pause a little bit there. How do you feel about approaching stakeholders and raising that uh, as a topic? Yeah, I definitely think that's doable. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think they'd be pretty open to it if I approached it from the way that, that you described. Yeah, so that's great. So that's a, a group kind of thing. And I want you to know that um, you're doing this, you're trying to, to, to do it for your own group, but really you're serving the whole. And, and I say that because sometimes like, ugh, death and destruction, I have to go into this meeting, it's going to be unpopular, people will be unhappy. Mm-hmm. Think about it as here you are serving the organization playing a vital role that, by the way, is role modeling for everyone else. Hey, are we clear on the first things first? And I, and I share this with great empathy for leaders because oftentimes they're in a privileged position of, have, of knowing a lot more information, not necessarily realizing that not all of that has moved down the organization. So it's easy to not remember that everyone doesn't have as full of a picture as you do. Um, so it's not as if necessarily they're holding back. It's just that sometimes people are moving at a great speed and it does take some time to download. So don't be afraid to put up a little bit of a stop sign and say, hey, I want to do my best work. For me to do my best work would really help me if I could fill in, you know, connect some of these dots, fill in some of these pieces. Okay. Um, now, I could imagine one-on-ones um, in IT. So do you have a lot of one-on-one requests too, Bill? Yes. Yes, I do. Okay. This is great. So I think part of that is you're thinking about, you know, what's the purpose of those? Some of those may be problem solving. Some of those may be like they need personal mentoring. So if I would I would kind of categorize that a little bit and get a scan. If you're someone who's a go-to person, I can imagine being around for 24 years that people go to you a lot for mm-hmm. they do. general, right? General, that's yes. right, which is great. And you love playing that role because it's a privileged role, but you do have work to do too. Right. So I encourage a little bit of data analysis, which I know you do in your department, thinking about hmm, what's the nature of all of these. Um, are some of them one on one things? Can some of these be group mentoring things if you're supporting people who are newer to the company or younger to the company? Uh, be creative about it. Um, and then for things that are just, you know, nice to have, maybe you push those off and say, hey, I'd love to do this. You know, can we check in next month? Right. So, so okay. that you feel like you're creating space for you um, because, you know, the 12 hour a day thing, I'm not, I'm not super happy about hearing that for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that, I think those are really good tips, Molly. Um, yeah. I definitely like to start trying those. Okay. So um, if you think about our little chat, is there one particular top takeaway you have? Um, I, I think it would be, you know, to, uh, um, to look, maybe to look at the bigger picture first to see, you know, what's best for the organization, what's best for everybody individually. We're all on the same team here. Uh, we all want the same thing. Um, there's nobody wants to waste time. Yeah, it's great. You have all this in common. Yeah. And so I'm hearing a sense of confidence. How confident are you on a scale of one to 10 that you can have some of these conversations? I think I'm I'm a hundred percent confident that I can have some of these conversations. Um, uh, other ones I think will be more problematic, but um, you know I'll give it a shot. Okay. Is there anything about the potentially problematic ones that I could say to be helpful now? Um, I don't I don't think so at this time, Molly. I'll. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of go down through these steps and see how it goes. And then how about I reach back out to you and let you know. That sounds great. I'm here. I'm here to help you. I'm cheering for you. The biggest smile Thank on you. my face. I really appreciate <laughs> your, your calling in and really for being part of the solution, Bill. You take good care. All right. Thank you, Molly, for everything. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking great thoughts. <laughs> what a cheerful guy. Love it. Okay, before my next caller, let me invite you, if you're listening in, to give a ring at 866-472-5790. Or if you're international, you can call Collect Country Code 1-480-398-3352. And happy to chat about any sensitive situation that's on your mind. I do have SayItSkillfully.com on my site. More ways to help you say it skillfully. So now we're going to head over to the West Coast, to Los Angeles. I'm going to welcome Mari to say it skillfully. Hi, Mari. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. Thank you so much for taking my call, Molly. I am thrilled to have you on the show. What is on your mind today? Well, I would love to talk about uh, addressing anti-Asian sentiment and behavior in the workplace. 
because yep. uh, especially in the climate we live in now, uh, you know, we've seen rising violence and uh, and rhetoric against Asians, and that's something that's been certainly been top of mind for me. I appreciate you bringing it up. It's not the easiest topic. Uh, being Chinese American, uh, it, um, is I hold it very dear. So I want to mm-hmm. thank you for having the courage to even bring it up because I think for a lot of us, just talking about it has not necessarily, you know, it's not been the most natural thing. And I think the more that we raise it um, in a public way and think about how do we have uh, fruitful informing conversations is a step in the right direction. So perhaps for listeners, could you share a bit, um, if you don't mind, Mari, about your own personal background, maybe a little family, just give us a sense of, um, did you have family from overseas, first generation, second generation? I'm third generation. So I was uh, third generation, um, so Sansei, Japanese American. So it was interesting because my parents wanted my brother and me to be raised because they had been in, in the internment camp. So they wanted us to be very Americanized. We were not taught Japanese, although we were, we were raised with some traditions of, say, as a, as a young girl, I was taught to be seen and not heard, to be agreeable, to be polite, never raise my voice, to be feminine, be cooperative. Are, or a lot of that, while that, I love my traditions, I realize you have to recognize that where you live and how you live is, is you have to look at cultural baggage and look at things that continue, you will continue to honor, and look at also some practices that no longer serve you in a positive way. That's a lot there. Uh, I appreciate yeah. hearing about the internment camps, and I'm not sure... Uh, all listeners are aware of that. Would you mind sharing a bit about them for their edification? Well, during World War II, because the J- Japan was part of the Axis powers and considered an enemy of the United States, Japanese who lived in the U.S. were put into camps because they were considered sort of enemies of the country. And, and um, so my own family, for example, my own parents spent two years in camps. And, and some of these camps were in just kind of god-awful places. So you, you really, you were treated, these are, they were treated as prisoners. Um, and even people who had been living in America for a long time and, and being productive citizens were, were considered you know, enemies of this country. So it's, it's sort of out of that context that people who are raising kids from that experience, I think, uh, behaved in, in ways that were very protective of their children, but perhaps sort of left us with ideas and practices that prevented us from use, finding our voice and using our voice in society. So yes. I think it's a matter of, right, recognizing that and addressing that. Yeah, I appreciate your sharing that. Do you recall the first time your parents told you about being in the camps? And I'm just wondering how, as a child, you took that. Well, it's very interesting, Molly, because they didn't raise it. This is often typical with people who are in in camps. They didn't raise it with me. They didn't want to talk about it. And I, when I learned about it as I was growing up, I asked my parents about it, and they really wanted to say very little. I think they wanted to put that behind them. It was a very, obviously a very painful time in their lives, and they, they were very reluctant to share any experiences with my brother and me. So I had to do my own research to learn more about it, um, but I saw firsthand the kind of damage that had incurred to them as individuals. Yeah, I uh, I can imagine the pain, and um, it's just hard. I I mean, I actually can't imagine the pain having not been through that. But I could imagine just you know the the pull of wanting to be open about it, but not wanting to to go back there could be very difficult. Um, exactly. So good, yeah, good but, for you to do your own, I guess, your own research and. Would you just say more about when you say the research and, you know, I've said to listeners before, you know, I, I had essentially zero Asian uh, 
history, if you will, in American history in, in school. And so, which was yes. just kind of a shocking thing to me. So I'm just, I'm, I am curious, you know, how you went about it and what your own journey was like in uncovering um, the Asian American history. Well, you know, you, I, I, I'm a very curious person. So I'm really just searching out books where I can get more information and, and uh, you know, learning and tra- talking to members of my family who would talk about it. So really, really sort of finding out that history and be, being more informed and aware. So it's in the context of that. You know, I come to my work as a professional communicator. How do you, and looking at dealing with anti-Asian sentiment in the workplace, how do we help people find their voice? How do we help organizations become more aware and adopt healthier practices in addressing that issue and addressing mistreatment of any marginalized group, but also help those of us on the receiving end find our voice and advocate for ourselves. Yeah. So it's, it's a two-pronged um, issue, I think. Yeah. Let's unpack um, both of those. Let's start with you at the individual level and you know, I, I hear the awareness. I was taught not, you know, to be seen, not heard, to be polite, to yes. be cooperative. And so, you know, would you share with us your journey to like, oh, wow, like I was, you know, programmed. There's a certain epiphany, I imagine. So just share a little bit about when you realized some of the things that uh, maybe were learned behaviors that you uh, are trying to unlearn, perhaps. Well, it's, you know, it's a gradual process as any significant change process is. And I think as I was, when I was younger, let's take an easy, an easy and commonplace issue. It's not an easy issue, it's commonplace. Mispronouncing my name. And I'm sure, you know, it's happened many times in my life and perhaps many times in yours. And when I was younger, I used to give a pass to people and say, well, you know, it's, it's a hard name to pronounce and it's okay. And, and even if, when I would correct someone and they would again mispronounce it, I would just, in my mind, make excuses for them and say, well, you know, probably it's a difficult, you know, non-English names are hard for them or they're too busy to pay attention. But as I grew older, I realized that this deliberate and consistent act of mispronouncing my name was maybe something larger. Maybe it was about disrespect and invalidating me. So as I grew older and become more, became more confident in myself, I learned how to be a better advocate and be, as, as you say, you know, positive and productive in addressing those moments of, of someone not getting my name right. And, and we see this on the larger stage, right, with our vice president, Kamala Harris, of people willfully mispronouncing her name to disrespect her, to marginalize her, to other her. So... So in the context of where we are today, it's, it's become even more important to find our voices and to be heard. Oh, thank you for that example. And I do want to spend a bit on how folks could potentially do that. And I'll, I'll use my college roommate, and her name is L-A-U-R-A, and it could be Laura, uh, Laura, um, but she, she was definitely Laura. Laura. And so mm-hmm. I remember in college, so she's 17 years old. People say Laura. She would go Lara, like larva, like larva. <laughs> so she <laughs> was just, you know, and I had to give credit. And so I do want to encourage folks. I actually, that's one of the things that I try very hard to do is to get people's names right. I was at a dinner recently and uh, mm-hmm. a young woman's name is Noemi, and she she said do re me without the r so for folks who you know yes, for exactly. you know so I, I just want to encourage make it fun make it light and seriously it is uh, you know to to folks listening it is a point to someone's name it's who they are and so we want to really exactly. do our best identity. to pronounce it it's an identity thing and perhaps it may not matter for you as an individual but to be aware of that for some folks that matters a lot and, and mm-hmm. to try, exactly. like some people can't pronounce it, I get it, but so to try that. Um, I also want to offer, I think, when it's happening to folks, um, uh, a situation which is uncomfortable, uh, and, and, and obviously, Mari, I welcome if you have another example, but, you know, I, I had someone early on 
you know, I used to, and I still have a tendency to trail off and, and I need to keep my voice, you know, and, but it was done yeah. from a teacher, right? And it was done in a way that I felt, uh, I felt mocked. And I felt ridiculed and it was kind of like a joke, and, you know, it, it just is really not helpful. And so when that's happening to you, you know, I think for folks to, to just realize people aren't trying to attack you. Let's hope. OK, exactly. let's just assume the positive intent. Take a yeah. breath. Right. Try to see the learning that's coming at you and use that as a way to be stronger and it's hard not to take it personally. So I, I just want to do a shout out for folks. It's hard not to take it personally, but this is the thing. If you take it personally, that's on you, right? If people aren't meaning that. And so I want right. to empower people right. to realize when, when am I taking it personally? Is that really, I mean, really, is that, do, do I have better things to do than like, woe is me? People are, so I think that that's exactly. a hard thing to come over, but you got to do it for sure. Um, as allies, you know, we talked about the organizations and like bringing it back to that level. I think having these conversations and giving folks space, and I've been on a number of forums, just, it's not about, like, people like, we have to anti-Asian sentiment. It's kind of a big thing, and, and it means a lot of different yeah. things, right? And there's a, yeah. the, the Asians are a big group. So, you know, I want to encourage folks to think of it in a one-by-one manner and mm-hmm. uh, to think to not feel like because we're not solving something at mass scale that it's not impactful. Right. I, you know, I, I think my parents have said to me, they have been, you know, and they've been in this country for 55, 60 years, you know, so it, you know, it, it's hurtful. If you feel like people are staring you down, blaming you for the virus. I mean, you know, it, it's, right. it, it's hurtful. Uh, yes. Yes. It hurts, you know, and, uh, so I, I think for organizations providing space to um, have people share, to have uh, use those as forms to help inform. This is not about dramatizing. It's not about feeling sorry for anyone. That said, it's um, hard, you know, to really see someone if you don't know them, and it's hard to know them without interacting right. with them. So um, I just shared exactly. that proximity thing. Um, what have you I, I seen think, in your work? You know, I, I'm sure you're seeing a lot of this. I think, well, I think with organizations, and, and it's really about classic change management, right, change processes, that organizations to to affect change need to do a rigorous self-examination of their own policies and practices. You need visible and vocal support from leadership, from your CEO, because if that person isn't behind change, then nothing's going to happen. And you need to look at all your processes and policies. How do you recruit people? How do you hire? Who do you hire? Who do you choose to sponsor, mentor, and champion? Who do you fast track to leadership positions? And what does your C-suite and board look like? So it's all of those things that that have to do with the change process, understanding that change is is slow and incremental and you have to hang in there. So, um, but if those things, those deep, uh, that deep self-examination and that profound commitment to change doesn't happen, then you just have, it's performative support for you know, for marginalized groups, it's not authentic support. We're embedding real positive um, improvements to how you operate as a company. I appreciate you bringing up the authenticity piece and the real piece. And I just had a conversation on this. So I kind of want to go on, on another side of this is and it, it can really look like and we've we've seen this play out. Don't apply if you're not. You know, I'll just use purple or green or this gender or that gender. And, you know, you're just like, whoa, like what's it come down to? And, you know, there's an optics piece that is for show. Um, and then, you know, I and I do believe optics matter, right? I think people look up and see yeah. oh. a wide array, right? That really, really matters. But we're not trying to sculpt the United Colors of Benetton so it, quote, unquote, looks yeah, good exactly. if that's not who we are, right? So I, I, I can imagine listeners nodding their heads. So I think this is an area where everyone has a role 
And if one yeah. might be perceiving in your organization that it's, you know, show business and not authentic, raising that in a way with, you know, a heartfelt honesty is important. And it might sound yeah. like, you know, an executive, you know, oh gosh, I appreciate how we're really going out on a limb to recruit uh, diverse candidates, et cetera, you know. But this is where it's a bit of a disconnect for me because on one hand, I see this and on one hand, I hear that and I'd love for us to talk about it. So notice in that thing, it's not necessarily about, well, you did this, we did that, how, it, trying not to solve and just figuring out what's going exactly. on and this notion of assuming yeah. positive intent. I do think a lot of people want to do the right thing, okay? No one's exactly sure what that is. So deep down, everybody's a little bit insecure, because is this really the right thing to do? And so, you know, there's no, this isn't a science, it's all art. So if groups can at least be honest about, hey, we're trying some things. They may or may not have the desired outcome we're wanting. We're open to that. Creating that kind of space for um, iterating on this, I think can be very right. powerful. And that is a little bit counter sometimes to the leadership need to feel decisive. And I have the answer and this is the right way to go. Um, so I'm just going to pause there. I'm wondering, do you see an openness in the leaders that you work with to, to say, you know, maybe we're part of the problem. Uh, maybe we don't have the answer. Let's take it slow. I'm just wondering how, if you're seeing any of that uh, in, in the marketplace. Yes, I, you know, I'm seeing more and more, I, I think, a, a sincere interest in, in addressing those issues, uh, but maybe not always knowing what steps to take, right, to move forward. And, and, I, and I think it's, that's where I feel as a communicator, you know, my role is to help build bridges between companies and their employees and, and between employees with each other. So I, I think, and I know you take the same approach, it's not about being accusatory or confrontational or, you know, bringing anger into that space. It's about inviting dialogue and, and giving people the benefit of the doubt and helping them and working together to find a path forward. So it's yes. always a collaborative experience, right? It's not about someone going alone or about a company finding the answer and, and you know, revealing it to the rest of the organization, the rest of the, your workforce. It's, it's a collaborative process and you build that bridge together. Yeah. I'll just offer for listeners a framework to think about this. Um, to just This is kind of fundamental to creating a shared reality. And it would be, what's the situation? And like writing it down yeah. the bullet points and, and whatever uh-huh. that is, co-creating that. I think of that as the reporting. It's not really an, a, a subjective, it's objective. And then the driver for change. And what is the driver for the change in the organization? And to clear, clarity and invite input on why it matters. And then, you know, when I use the word problem, not in a negative sense, but, you know, what are we trying to address here? Like, what's the problem we're really trying to address? And lots of times there's different views on that, of course. So aligning on first things first is a way to kind of get people on board. And a solution may not be like ending uh, demarginalization. Maybe it's a stepwise thing. What is, we want to create the ability for people to be heard. We want to create the ability for people to know about people who aren't coming from their own backgrounds. I mean, you can't know what you don't know. So um, I just offer that for folks as a way perhaps to get started on, you know, where you're at and and then where you want to go. Mari, I really am grateful for you bringing up this topic uh, and sharing personally. Do you have a top takeaway from our little conversation? Um, Yes, I I would say I I love your word co-creation. I think um, for me, my takeaway is always bearing in mind that this is this is a shared process, and it's some, it's not something um, we can do by ourselves. It happens locally. It happens personally. It happens with one incident, one one experience at a time. So having the patience to hang in there and show up every day and do the work is so important. So not to be disheartened, not to get impatient, and. Uh, and remember, it's always something that we do together. You are very wise, my friend. I appreciate your heart um, and your commitment. I am here for you. If I can be of more help, you know how to reach me. Uh, and I thank you, Mari, for making thank time today you. and for being part of the solution. 
Thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate it. And it was a pleasure talking to you. Take care. Ciao, ciao. Okay, and we're going to the the West Coast, staying in the area, to the Silicon Valley in San Jose, and I welcome Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Molly. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, Thank you for making time and calling in. Uh, What uh, challenging conversation or sensitive situations on your mind? So... Currently, we have a third-party agency uh, working on our marketing for our company, um, but we're finally at that point, and we're super excited to to start building a marketing department internally um, within our company. Um, but here's where the difficulty comes in. Um, the person who is doing the majority of the work um, who who works for that outside agency and is the lead person on all our marketing. Um, he wants to apply for a position in our new marketing department. Um, internally, we we already know you know he's a great guy, but he's just not the right fit um, for the department and for the positions that we currently have. Um, but we also know that we need him because it's going to take us some time to to build the department. Um, and in the meantime, we still need to have our marketing done. Um, so I guess my, my question is, how do I keep this person engaged and motivated to still, you know, do high quality work for us, knowing that, you know, there's, you know, in, in the future, they're going to lose our business. Ooh, okay. This is a tough one. Uh, I get it. I appreciate you bringing it up, Sarah. Could you say more about not a good fit? You know, I heard a little bit skill set or maybe there's um, how they move through space. Just say a little bit more about what's uh, not a good fit. He doesn't have um, the the management experience. Um, He also just doesn't have the skill sets. Um, that it takes uh, that that we're going to need. He's great at the technical. He, you know, you give him a project and technically he can execute it. Um, but he just doesn't have, you know, strategy, um, content, uh, the ability to produce content, um, and like I said, management. He he really hasn't been a been in a position to to oversee other people and supervise them. Okay. okay that's very helpful. So when you think about um, just so I understand, when you bring this in house, that person can still stay with the agency, correct? Well, I mean, eventually we'll be taking all our all of the work that we give the agency. We'll be taking it back internally, okay. in house. Okay. okay, and the but the agency as a result wouldn't be going under. Like this individual would still be employed. We would hope. It, yes, but it is a small agency. It is a very okay. small agency, and I know he works the majority of his time is on our account. Okay. Okay. So, uh, so you do you feel that there's a high likelihood that they potentially would be out of work? It's hard for me to say because I, I don't know, you know, what what their process is in, in getting other clients. I What I do know is that he does spend the majority of his time working for us. Um, my okay. hope okay. is that they would retain him, um, but I think for him, he is very much hoping that we're going to hire him. Okay. And then help me with how transparent as you're moving the work in, I would assume kind of leadership and leadership to the, to what extent is the third party agency aware of what you're thinking of doing? Oh, we've, we've made it very clear to them. Um, But we have also been um, honest that it's going to take time. And so we yep. don't have a finite timeline of when everything's going to be set up and when we'll be pulling all the work in-house. Okay. Got it. Okay. So I love the transparency piece. 
And um, as is, uh, you know from the show, we're trying to create the win-win here. So I think, um, and to to uh, support this gentleman the way we would be on a support if we were, if that was happening to us. So I, I think the the clarity of the role that you have and specifics of what it takes to be successful in that role, um, you having uh, a conversation about that and um, being open and honest about that, I think is a way that is the easiest way to sleep at night. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, um, I think you can be very supportive of the person acknowledging, say, um, John, wow, you know, we're in this uh, transition here. You've been very valued. We've really loved it. We'd love to debrief with you on the new role, just so you're aware of the fit, um, it may it, it, it may not be something that plays to your strengths. And we just want to be open in front and support you. Um, so that would be a way to take it more transparently to help educate um, the person's doing great work. There's you said they're really great technically. Help them help them be aware of their strengths. Um, and some of the things that you may say, well, hey, we're actually looking for five years of strategy. We're looking for this kind of content production and and educate. They may not like it, but at least they can understand that if they were in your shoes, that they, it's the kind of person that they need. So let me just pause there. How's that landing? I like I like how you framed it with leaning in with the strengths because I, I think what was making me feel super uncomfortable was the, um, you know, having to to discuss his lack of of um, abilities and skills in certain areas. So I like that idea of leaning in with here, here, here's what you're really good at, and here's what we appreciate, um, and then here's what the role is going to be and what we're looking for in the role. I do have some concerns that he'll still say, oh, I can handle all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think if if I just am able to keep it into a very kind of, you know, structured conversation that this is, you know, we're looking to build and start from the top and then build yeah. down. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's just, okay. you know, and you're the decision maker at this point, so it's not really up for grabs. And so it's helping him understand that and yeah. appreciating because you want to keep him engaged, appreciating all he's done, setting the yeah. vision of here's the things that are transitioning and what we really want to lean into. Um, and, and just being mindful, you know, and this happened just very recently where someone was thinking they were kind of at a place where no one else thought that they were. And that can be hard. So coming up with the concrete um, sometimes it is actual years. Sometimes it's actual, you know, the work product so that it's somewhat um, non-negotiable, you know, can be hard for people. We're not saying you couldn't do it, but you haven't done it or looking for, you know, depth of experience, et cetera. Um, and so I think laying that out is a great thing. And then, you know, I think because you've been, you know, you the world is small. So you, you've, you're grateful to this agency. They're grateful that you're growing and bringing in the house. I mean, this is, you know, a natural evolution of successful organizations and your ability to partner at the top saying, Hey, you know, um, John has been just fabulous. Um, and we're wondering, you know, uh, is there anything that we can be doing to be supportive with new clients or what have you? Because, you know, we would like to honor the work that he's done and, and, and do what we can to ensure that he's well positioned um, and, you know, being an advocate for someone else, um, offering that level of support, uh, I could imagine that the agency would, would receive that well. You know, I never thought of that because I've just been dealing directly with him on this. And he obviously wanted to keep it confidential from the agency uh, that he was wanting to to apply for this job. But I like that. I like that idea of going to the to the owner of the agency directly because they know what the situation is that we'll be moving, but to, to go to them with, with our gratitude for the work that he's done and the work that he'll continue to do for us and their support yeah, and as well you, as we yeah, make that Yeah, and you don't need to, vi- yes, yes. And you don't need to violate any confidence. It's just something to say sure. that, you know, hey, we just, we, we appreciate that this is going to be a bit of a pull from your own business. We're just not lost on us. 
and, you know, we're all in it together um, and we want to put in a good word and what can we do? You know, I'll just do a quick segue. You know, I've done a lot of this uh, acquisition work and I had early on one of our like amazing leaders at Cisco. We had bought a company. We we're going to lose a lot of people. And he literally single-handedly went out and placed every single person, you know. And, and so I just feel like, you know, that stuff goes around, comes around, you know, when you take care of people, they take care of you. Um, and, and, you know, yeah. I, you could feel really great uh, about offering that. I like that. So, Sarah, do you have a top takeaway from our little conversation here? Really? About just, just, just what you mentioned, um, the last thing, just, you know, take care of people and they'll take care of you. Sometimes we forget to do that in business. Well, I appreciate your highlighting that because that is the crux of the whole say it skillfully because so often we're jumping to task, trying to get it done, meeting the numbers, uh, making the deadline. Yeah. And you forget, you know, it's human beings who connect all the dots and make it happen. Um, we're those human beings, so we want to be appreciated. Uh, we want to, you know, hear the news that we need to hear um, and to be, you know, uh, part of something bigger than any one person can be. So um, I appreciate you and I appreciate the care you have to bring this up uh, to, to find a, a win-win way forward. Um, you know how to reach me. So if I can be of more help as you work it through, please don't hesitate uh, to reach out, Sarah. And uh, I thank you for being part of the solution. I will, Molly. Thank you for helping me look at it in a, definitely a different way. Uh, it's, it's awesome. You take good care. Take care. Ah, I love it. Okay, I have a couple, um, not so much scenarios, but just uh, ideas for you. I was working with a leader recently um, who was apprehensive about approaching a peer. And one of the the, um, suggestions I had was this notion of positive intention. And, you know, I think that that is something that is, it's a little risky sometimes because it's easy. Well, they don't want to do it. They won't like it. You know, we're thinking about all the catastrophizing of, of when the, what the downside could be. And it is important to plan. So I'm not taking that away. I would offer that the energy that you come forward with when you think that this is going to be a win-win and that we're doing the right thing together, that's going to be an inviting way to engage with someone. And so rather than think, well, this person's going to shoot down the idea. They're going to think I'm dumb. They're not, you know, think about, well, You've obviously thought this through. You're approaching this person with something that's going to help the organization. It's going to enable the person and you to be heroes in helping the organization. And consider that that's like, okay, like why wouldn't they want to do that? So I'm not trying to be Pollyanna-ish about it, but I want to offer, look, it's assuming that people want to be heroes. They want to do the right thing. They're there to help. You're creating an opportunity for someone to be even more impactful by, by uh, working on something together. can be something that um, helps you overcome some of the fear and apprehension and it, it creates a way for you to be best received by the person you're approaching. I want to offer that as a top tip. Um, and then the second thing is around a personal level accountability. And, you know, um, you hear all the time, you can't make someone change. I got it. We're not here to make anyone else change. I hear that so sometimes as a code for, well, I'm innocent here, absolved of any responsibility for this other person and what they're doing. It might even be destructive behavior because, you know, I can't make them change. So, listen, I appreciate you feel that this is never going to change or the person is never going to change, you know. Um, oftentimes, the strategy is to keep telling the person what to do, how they're wrong, replaying the past over and over, you know, therefore cementing all this bad past. I'm going to ask, look, at, let it go. I, I've done this more than I care to admit, so I know it doesn't work very well. So rather than throw your hands up in despair and feel it's hopeless, right? I'm not saying the other person will want to change or that they even can change. They may not be capable, but you are empowered. I want to call out that you have a choice and I ask you to be intentional, right? It's your choice to say or do nothing, right? Choose to be part of the problem or choose to be part of the solution. Now, especially if these are longstanding relationships that you care about, their family, their friends, their coworkers, and I just want to encourage you to make the choice to do your best to let go of any bias you have. Don't cement yourself in some negative past 
put yourself in the other person's shoes, do your best to feel where they are. And that's fundamental to connection and to trust. And those are the starting points. You may not get to solving the issue per se, but you can be very positive about taking this positive step for human connection and that'll help you sleep better at night. So those are a couple of tips for you. I want to close with my thought for the week from 24-year-old, six-foot, 11-inch Greek professional basketball player, Giannis um, Atutukumpo, if I got that right, from the Milwaukee Bucks. And he led them to a not-so-probable win um, in the NBA championship recently. When you focus on the past, that's your ego. When I focus on the future, that's my pride. I try to focus on the present. That's humility. And that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Reflect on your top takeaways. And no, I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality. Essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is a problem that's more costly to ignore than solve. The U.S. spends $12 billion a year responding, but resources alone aren't enough. I'd like you to know there are cities and counties proving what does work. Partnering with Community Solutions, a nonprofit I'm on the board of, more than 80 communities around the country are succeeding in ending homelessness, beginning with chronic and veteran homelessness. They convene local leaders around data and are changing how they work and spend their resources. So homelessness becomes rare. More than half have already reduced the number of people experiencing chronic and veteran homelessness with commitment to get to zero. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org and see whether your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness is an intractable problem. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out SayItSkillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. 